Good morning. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and the end of 5. And uh, we will be introducing chapter 6 today and just raising our thinking about what Paul is doing during this text. And in this text, why is he posing this question? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? It's important to consider why he's asking that question. And it's important for us to realize that you can't unhitch chapter 6 from chapter 5. Uh, many commentators speak of, um, of Paul beginning a new section here. Uh, some say, well, he's, he's, he's finished talking about justification by faith, and now he's going to start talking about sanctification. Well, just like you can't unhitch sanctification from justification, you can't unhitch chapter 6 from chapter 5. He's continuing in the argument, and they all go together. Uh, and so it's important for us to think that way and understand Paul's argument, what he's arguing for, how he's arguing for what he's arguing and he is laying out some logical arguments, but also behind those arguments, he has Scripture to back him up in what he is saying. As we look uh, ahead, verses 20 and 21 read, uh, because they say, now the law came in to increase the trespass. That's something we don't often hear. It's one of the reasons for the law was to increase the trespass. And notice it is the trespass. And where the sin increased, we have been speaking of something specific in this, and that is speaking of Adam's sin, uh, that original sin where he sinned, and through him sin entered into the world. And so he's speaking of that, that he did this. This sin, it increased. How? Population increase. All right? All of us have this sin nature in us. All of us. All of you. You say, well, don't be so rude, Rick. Well, I'm not. I'm just stating it like it is. Paul is letting us know that when Adam sinned, that passed to all of us. And that sin nature is still in every one of you. Well, Rick, I'm born again. I'm saved. Jesus has saved me. Yes. Okay. But your sin nature is still there. As long as you're breathing, each one of us have a sin nature. Nothing of what Paul is saying can be uh, interpreted as... We no longer sin. Christians no longer sin. Or Christians are no longer tempted. Oh yeah, we are. And oh yes, we do. So we need to understand that's not what's going on here. He is telling us something about our nature and something about what Christ did 
and how what Christ did makes a day-to-day change in us. So he's speaking of justification. Hey, this sin had increased. What else was he saying there in chapter 20 and 21? Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, something else reigns in grace. What? Life, righteousness, eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so that's what we want reigning. That's what reigns in those who are in Christ. You know, it's, it's interesting. You can spread the gospel and share the gospel. And when we share the gospel, a question like this comes up. Well, if by sinning, grace increases, shouldn't we sin some more so that there's more grace? The gospel can lead to that kind of thinking. And Paul wants to make sure that the legalists who think that, he understand, that they understand something. By no means, no, of course not. So I want us to think about this, and I want us to understand that Paul is talking very much uh, about the mechanics of a spirit-filled, spirit-led life. I'll explain that a little more later. But in this text, and what I'm introducing today, only going through verse 4, he's talking about the mechanics of the spirit-led, spirit-filled life of a believer. I hope to help you all to understand what I mean by that. Uh, as we look and we think about Paul's argument, which, by the way, Paul is pointing out something, and my first point is simply this, non sequitur. The question that they ask does not follow the gospel. It does not follow what Paul is saying, and that's how he begins his argument, and that's how he argues throughout But the second thing I want us to look at today is the importance of the union we have in Christ. That's Paul's argument. He tells them about their argument. Your argument doesn't follow. But let me give you this argument. We're united with Christ. And then lastly, I want us to see the expectation of the gospel And the expectation of being united with Christ is a new life. That's what he's pointing to. So first of all, I want us to look what Paul is saying. What shall we say then? And Paul's not asking this question. This is not a question that Paul says, look, this is the natural question that ought to flow from this. No, that's not what he's saying. Instead, what's going on is he's asking for others around him. This is a question that he's been asked by others. He hasn't actually been to Rome. He hasn't actually been to Rome and shared the gospel there. Instead, what we see here is we see that that Paul is bringing up an argument. He's bringing up an argument that he's heard over and over again as he shares the gospel. 
And that is, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That comes from the Jews. These Jews that put so much stock in the law. So much stock both in the judicial law, and so much stock in the ceremonial law. And they, they're, they're saying, well, if that's true, Paul, I mean, it's ridiculous what you're saying. Then we should just keep on sinning and sin even more so that grace will abound. Paul said, that doesn't follow. That's an absolute non sequitur. And he answers that in this way, by no means. Okay, Paul got a little emotional there. That's what happened. That's his first response. His first response was an emotional response. Anybody ever have one of those? You know? I, I, Dad, can I blow up the car? What? Y- y'all ever do that? Okay, that's what Paul's doing here. You know? Kids, don't go home and ask your dad that. I just gave you his answer. All right? That's his emotional response. Uh, can, can I... Uh, can, Can we understand and grab hold of Paul is just shocked that this question keeps coming up over and over and over again. By no means. Of course not. So the first response is this emotional response. That I know you're going to ask this question, so I'm going to go ahead and put it in the letter. And I want you to know this is a silly question. That's why it's emotive, I guess you would say. That's what's going on with that. (laughs) By no means. Of course not. Why Why would you put together the grace of God to redeem and then come to the conclusion that God in redeeming wants you to sin more? It doesn't follow. He's saving us from sin. Why would he save us to sin? He doesn't. So his first response is emotional, by no means. And he says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Begs a couple of questions. First of all, you have to think in this way. Uh, you know, how, how can we who died to sin, how did we die to sin? He's going to answer that question as we go through this chapter. How is it that we died to sin? Well, when Christ died, we died. How can we die to sin and still live in sin? Well, you can't because it's dead to you. That doesn't mean that Christians don't sin. And it doesn't mean that Christians can't be tempted to sin. It means instead uh, that they don't go together. Those who have died to sin and living in sin, they don't go together. They don't mix. It's like oil and water. They can't coexist. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You see the mechanical aspect of that? What we have here is we have gears that do not mesh. We have something that cannot be. 
You can't go forward and backward at the same time. Now, we had a big crowd at the house yesterday. Most of them were kids who wanted rides on the four-wheeler. And I'm going to tell you, when you take that four-wheeler and you put it in, in gear, it will go. All right? But if you put it in reverse, you better stop first. Because you're going to blow something apart by just slamming it into reverse if you're going full tilt forward. It's not going to be pretty sight. Something bad is going to happen. Paul's saying you can't do both of these things. They don't go together. One does not follow the other. Dying to sin does not follow living in sin. Verse 3, he gives a second point. Notice he starts this chapter off with four questions. Verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now he's arguing from a place of baptism. And who has saved us? And how he has Saved us. Are we to continue in sin? That's in the sin, by the way. The definite article is present there. He's not merely talking about our actions, but he's talking about the nature of the sin of Adam. Shall we continue in that nature? The second argument is, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? How can we baptize those who are immersed, those who are identified with Christ? be identified with both sin and Christ. How can we be identified with both worldliness and the kingdom of God? We can't. Paul here, when he's talking, he's talking about us being baptized. That word baptized... It's, it's this. Uh, here's a definition. The, the introduction or placing of a person or thing into a new environment or into union with something else so as to alter its condition or its relationship to its previous environment or condition. So that's kind of technical for baptism, don't you think? Well, not really. The word literally means to immerse. Okay, And specifically to immerse in water, to be baptized is to be immersed. And we're talking about mode there, but we need to be talking about defining. We've been baptized into Christ. Now, he is talking about baptism, when we're baptism, baptized, and what the symbol of baptism means. 
But he's running deep with this, and that's why we're not going to cover it all today, giving you general overview of what's happening in this chapter. But he speaks of us being baptized into Christ. There is a sense here in being baptized that we are identified with him. We are baptized into. It's a preposition that speaks of coming from outside and going inside. In being in Christ. Paul's favorite phrase. We've been baptized, identified, immersed in. You know what happens when immersion happens? I'm not talking about immersion in water. I'm talking about immersion in something, in a society, in a culture, in a language. Years ago, I was working with a, uh, a group of people, and many of them were Hispanic. And, and, I, and I discovered pretty quick, language is not my thing, okay? Uh, I figured out how, what they were saying when they said, baño. I figured it out the hard way. I didn't know what they were saying, but I figured it out the hard way. And it's kind of like, well, they kept telling you they need to go to the bathroom. No, they didn't. Yeah, baño, baño. Why? But there was a school. I thought about going to it down in San Antonio. It's a seminary down there. And what they do is they have an immersive language uh, school. And you get in that school and nobody speaks English to you. You have no choice but to learn it. You're immersed in nothing but the Spanish language. I mean, yeah, you got books and everything, but you got to figure it out. And you're immersed in it. And you're identified with that language. And as, as you pick up that language, you start speaking more and more, and they start understanding you. That's pretty good. You know, you're doing all right. We understand you. You're talking like you're three, but, uh, you know. But we know what you're saying. Immersion. You become like that language. You speak that language. Baptism is more than just being put into water. It's coming into union with Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is arguing for here. Baptism is the introduction or placing of a person or thing into a new environment and into union with something else so as to alter its condition or its relationship to its previous environment and culture. In other words, we're still in the world but we're not of the world. We're in the world and we're of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So he's arguing, making this argument. He's just simply saying, that's not possible. It's not possible. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? No. How can we who died to sin still live in sin? That does not follow. It's not possible. My dad had the coolest truck when I was a kid. It was a 1968 solid white Chevrolet C10 Stepside. I mean, it was a sweet truck. 
Now, mind you, that truck was manufactured when I was two. All right? It was old. I remember riding in that truck. I remember being so excited my dad had that truck. My uncle had that truck after him, and it drove for many years. Of course, Chevys don't do that anymore. But this 1968 Chevy C10, if you were to take that today and drive it across the panhandle of Texas where there's nothing but signs that say crossover, and as you're driving through there and you can't find a gas station, you finally come upon a charging station. You're going to what? A charging station. You know, it's for electric cars and the station runs off diesel. And so you pull your 1968 C10 stepside Chevy pickup up next to that charging station, and you grab hold of, I don't know, is it a nozzle? I don't know what it is, but you take that thing and you stick it in the gas tank. And let me tell you what's not going to happen. That thing is not going to receive any fuel. Do you know why? It's not possible to fill up a 1968 Chevy pickup with electricity. It's not possible. It doesn't follow. You don't sin because of grace. You live because of grace. You are changed because of grace. You are made new because of grace. It just doesn't follow. Paul said your argument doesn't, it doesn't have any merit. He says we've been baptized into Christ Jesus. And everybody who has been baptized into Christ Jesus has been baptized into his death. Verse 4, we were buried therefore with him in baptism into his death. In order that, in other words, there's a reason for that. In order that, uh, we have been identified with Christ in order that, in other words, not so that we would sin. Let me tell you what grace does. Let me tell you how grace changes. Uh, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There's a union being seen there. Uh, there's something where uh, we are together with Christ. We are in Him. We were baptized into Him. We are fully connected to the Son of God by grace through faith in Him. 
And so he's helping us to see, look, you're together with Christ. There's this union with Christ. It's not about the law. It's about the grace of God stirring and working in such a way that we are with him. Several years ago, I was at a church and we began a ministry to correctional officers in our local prisons. And as we were preparing to begin that, I went and I had a, a meeting uh, with the warden of Cofield Unit. And he wanted to give me a tour of the prison, let me see what was going on out there, kind of give me a taste of uh, you know, being among the prisoners, but also among the correctional officers who we were going to be ministering to. And so I went out there, and, and, uh, and he met me, you know, walked me through the gate, and, uh, and he got us in there, and we went to the office, and he gave me a badge that said visitor on it, okay? And then he said, okay, you know, you got that badge that says visitor, just go and walk through, you know, help yourself, you know, see everything. No, that's not what he did, because I would have never got the first gate open with a visitor badge on. All right, that wouldn't have happened. No, instead, he put the visitor badge on me and said, come on. And we walked and we walked up to the gate. They didn't ask him for identification. They didn't ask him, who are you? I mean, they saw him coming, and you could hear the keys, you know, and you could hear the of the doors and stuff. Y'all like my sound effects? I mean, I could get maybe an award for this. Uh, but the doors would, you know, they would unlatch and you'd walk through them. You know, there he was. Wherever he went, I was able to go. We went to administrative segregation. We went to the general population. We went to the cafeterias. We even ate lunch there. That's enough reason not to get in trouble like that. Okay. Everywhere he went, I had full access to go. I wasn't there on my own authority. I was there on his. And folks, I want you to know that we live and breathe and have our existence only because of the authority of the living God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He has given us life. And he has united us together with him to walk and to live as he has called us to. I want to look at a couple of references that help us to see the effect of this union that we have in Christ and how that leads to newness of life. And as we go through this chapter, we're going to see that uh, un unpacked and we're going to see how uh, he is changing us. So we, we notice here that in, in verse 4 that he, he tells us we're buried. Uh, why? So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. How is this even possible? Look at verse 6. We knew that our old self was crucified with him in order that uh, the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved 
to sin. What he has done has an effect on our lives. Let, let me read a, a few passages. First of all, uh, in, in uh, Romans 6.11, uh, we'll see that in a few weeks. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's that union again. There's a separation from our sinfulness, a separation from, uh, from uh, walking and living in a particular way, a separation, if you will, from the sin, uh, that sin of Adam that brought sin in, a separation from him, a separation from the effects of that sin. It says, so you must consider yourselves dead to sin. Our union with Christ gives us a new way to think. Christians have been given a bad rap through the years. Maybe we've earned it. One quote out of a book says, the problem with the evangelical mind is that there is no evangelical mind. This was a Christian writer who was writing it, by the way. You must also consider logizomai, logos word. Think. Consider. Bear in mind. You are dead to sin. You are alive to God. Not by your own merit, not by your own means, but by the means and merit of Jesus Christ. His righteousness, His goodness. We are in union with Him when we think like He thinks. When we consider dead to sin. Y'all ever tempted to lie? Go on, you can admit it. I know, I know you're not perfect. I mean, sometimes the three-year-old asks you a question, and it's kind of like, well, I can't answer that honestly. You know, those pop up, right? Say, well, I'm just going to change the subject, or I'm going to answer it in a way that's just a little white lie. You know, not always, you know. I, I, I want us to, to see that we have a new mind, a new way of Thinking when we come upon temptation. You ever have that? Are you ever tempted to sin? And you come upon temptation and the temptation to sin. Maybe it's to get angry. Maybe it's to lust. Maybe it's in some way like that. And, and what do you, what's the first thing we should do? Bear in mind. Is what Paul say. Bear in mind. Consider that you are dead to sin. Like, that's not, that's not who I am. That's not who Christ is. I'm not doing that. That's our first offense, man. What do you think? How has your mind been shaped and trained? It's why those, those books are out there right now. 
for you to have a means of going through and reading the Word of God and the Word of God feeding your soul and your mind. Paul said, man, your argument just it doesn't follow because we're in union with Christ. And we think differently about sin. We used to think about doing it. And now we think about staying away from it. Why? Because of who he is. Next in Romans chapter 7 verse 4. Paul writes, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. Why? In order that we may bear fruit for God. That's why. Paul saying, you know what? When we're united to Christ in this way, the sin nature hasn't gone away. But we've been, it's been disarmed. And I want you to know that you've died to the law. You've died to sin. What does it say in verse 7? For one who has died has been set free from sin. Colossians 2.20 If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations of doing things that people say, you know what, if you'll do this, you'll feel better about yourself? Really, regulations of the law. No. Those do you no good. It's being united to Christ who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Paul's saying, your argument doesn't follow, but the argument is this. We've been united with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, that's a wonderful thing. Isn't it great that God, in his grace and in his mercy and in his love, United us with his son. Undeserved, totally unmerited. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 6 so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That term, enslaved to sin, just kind of brings up the concept and the, the imagery, if you will, of a slave shackled. And understand, we were shackled to the sin nature. We were shackled to sin. We couldn't get loose from it and shackle ourselves to righteousness. We couldn't do anything with it. As a matter of fact, we loved the shackles. We lived for those shackles. But the imagery here is that we have been set free. They've been unlocked. It's like going in the prison. And those doors, boom, gate comes open. 
Your cell opens up. What's going on here? I'm afraid to step out because that looking for the guard, you know, to escort you somewhere. What's going on? You stick your head out just a little bit. Hey, what's going on? You're free. What do you mean I'm free? You're free. The judge said you could go. Wait a minute, what judge? The judge. He said you could go. On what basis? Oh, you've been redeemed. Uh, The price has been paid. The penalty has been paid. Your penalty has been paid. You're free to go. You got a piece of paper or something that says it's okay? Look, can't you just believe my word? It's okay to go. What happens? You walk out and nobody stops you. You you walk out and nobody says, hey, get back in there. You keep walking and gate after gate unlocks. And you're free. I mean, before you know it, you're outside the prison. Done. Unshackled. Paul's saying that's why he died. That's who we are. This is a new nature. And the effect is you're free from sin. You don't have to live in it anymore. It's no longer the option. You have a new option that takes an old life and it turns it into a new life. You've been set free. But what will you do with that freedom? And we're back up to the original question. Well, should we just go on sinning? No. You've been set free. Because the other side of the scenario I just played out is that you don't believe that you're free even though the door's open and the chains are off. I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying locked up. Those who have been set free would never make that choice. Those who the chains have fallen and the doors are open and everything's not seen through bars anymore, they're not staying. Are you? Paul's saying, man, you hadn't been set free to sin. You have been set free to glorify God and to walk in newness of life. We'll pick up there next time. And we'll unpack this a little more. But, oh, Jesus, thank you.
Thank you for paying the price, for setting us free. And my thing to say to you now is this. Don't waste it. Don't squander your freedom. The liberty. Don't squander it. But instead live to his glory. Live and walk in obedience. Don't let death reign. Let grace reign. Don't let sin reign. Verse 12. Let righteousness reign. Let that be the pursuit of your soul, your heart, your mind. In Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. That by no merit of our own, no goodness of our own, no action of our own, you have set us free. And you have set us free to bear fruit for you. Lord, don't let us squander that. But let our minds be like you. Let us think. Let us always remember. Let us always bear in mind that we have been set free from sin. That sin is dead. The nature of sin is dead. And the only way for it to live is for us to resuscitate it. So, Lord, let us see the treasure of your righteousness. Let us see the treasure of your glory, the beauty of knowing you and living for you and hoping in you. Oh, Father, stir our hearts and let every day and every moment have this newness of life that is in Christ Jesus and being united to him. In Jesus' name, amen.